Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Scott Clout, the host of Zootown Podcast. And we just started this whole thing because we wanted open and honest conversation, even with those we might disagree with. We've also recognized there's this pressure among the Christian church that if you bring someone on a podcast or you quote them, then people think that you agree with everything they say. And because we are so tribalistic within Christianity, um, we find that sometimes hard to come against. So just make it clear that we bring these guests on to hear their opinion, and we don't agree with everything any of our guests say, and they don't agree with everything that we believe either. So we just wanted to make this a place where we could agree on the love of Jesus Christ and have disagreements outside of that. So we don't want to be the podcast that always says, we don't agree with everything they say, because that's obvious, and we don't even feel like we should have to say that anymore. That's just a weird tribalistic pressure. So we are here for open, honest conversation, and it's up to you to have an open mind and also put in the work to see what you believe. So thanks for joining us and hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, thank you for joining Zootown Podcast, and today we have a special guest who actually will be here in a couple weeks to preach at Zootown. And uh, if you're hearing this after June 5th, then you missed it. But if you're hearing this before, uh, please come check us out at 9 or 11 um, or watch online at ZootownChurch.com because um, we have the distinct pleasure of bringing Father Jarmus uh, to Missoula, Montana. Father, thanks for joining us today. Not a problem. Thanks for the opportunity to join you. Yeah. And uh, for our listeners, Father Jarmus is uh, my mentor, whether he knows it or not. And uh, <laughs> he's been an amazing uh, resource as I have journeyed into uh, more orthodox positions. And so that's kind of what we're going to chat about today. And uh, so first off, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, marriage, all kinds of stuff. Sure. Born and raised in uh, Canada. So that's where I grew up. Uh, my, my father was an Eastern Orthodox priest, so I've been Orthodox all my life, grew up in the faith. Um, and when I was doing an undergrad, it was a psychology undergrad, and I was absolutely certain that the last thing I would ever do is become a priest. So obviously, when I finished my undergrad, I went to seminary. Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> Um, it's like when people and, say, I'll never be a missionary in Africa, and then that's right, where they go. Then, <laughs> that's where they end up for the rest of their life, precisely. Yeah. So, yeah, we have plans, and then God has providence, and that's that's where it goes. And a lot of what actually got me into seminary was uh, the school I went to, the, 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 the university, uh, the psychology program was very much a, a behaviorist model. So it was like, all we are is a really bunch of a bunch of really complicated responses to a bunch of really complicated stimuli. And that's all we were. And I just, the more I heard it, the less I believed it. <laughs> so I took some religious studies courses in my fourth year. And then, uh, and then on my final year, then I went to seminary and the seminary was amazing because, you know, I mean, I've grown up in the Orthodox faith, so I've seen all these, I've seen it. It's, it's been part of my landscape my entire life, but to, to go someplace where you actually study it and you, there were, like there were dots being connected that I didn't even know existed. Hmm. Even with a father so, as a priest, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even, yeah. So, um, yeah, because you know, you know, you, you, you live it, living it is not the same as studying it. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, so that was just incredible. And, and just one of the things that, that was really important for me was, was to be able to articulate and share the faith as much as I could. Um, my, my wife, she was baptized when she was 18. We met, uh, just, just before I started seminary and, um, 
so her her kind of like catechumenate, you know, her her learning period before she got into the she was baptized in the Orthodox Church, but before oh, okay. that was was like my like kind of like my first or second year of seminary. So it was great because she was asking the kind of questions that I, you know, that we, that I wasn't asking because obviously I grew up in the faith. So, so that was, that really helped me to, to kind of look at things from another perspective or, you know, or challenge me to be able to articulate things uh, in in a way that, you know, it's like anybody, right? You, You have your set of, of buzzwords. And when you throw one out, like everybody knows what it is because yeah. everybody, you know, knows it. But to have to articulate the faith without that was was incredibly helpful because, you know, how does it help someone to learn about the Orthodox faith that don't know words like theosis or, mm-hmm. um, oh, I don't know, there's all sorts of them. But, uh, you know, these apokatastasis and all these things. Well, <laughs> so it was great. And, and so she... Uh, that that was an interesting interesting journey with her um and of course she decided to stick around and she even decided to marry me which was a great gift to me amen um and uh so here we are so i've been a priest now for uh a little over 30 years about 15 of that i was in canada and the last 15 have been here in the u.s i started out doing some church administration on the east coast now i'm in fort wayne indiana for the last 12 years and uh it's been wonderful. Awesome. And something so and something just happened at your church, right? Like they moved something moved there? Like uh so yeah, our church our church became a cathedral. So we became our our bishop's sort of main church is his home base. Um so that happened that happened this year uh which is I mean it hasn't really fundamentally changed the day-to-day life of our parish, but uh we see the bishop a little more and um so yeah, so that happened. So I guess it was like it was an upgrade, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, we have a great bishop, so it's it's always nice when he's around. And cool. And was your wife Canadian? Canadian then? Yeah, uh, my wife was born and raised in Canada as well. She actually was born and raised in Calgary, so north of north of you guys. Yeah, uh, born there uh, anyway. But we're, yeah, we're with Can- all of our kids. We have three boys. They were all born in Canada as well, uh, and now all down here. What are some? comparisons to canada and america good and bad oh good and bad okay um because you've done it both so yeah um i like a political system that has more than two parties (laughs) so that's canada amen um but there's something about american you know there's something about how americans treasure their identity and their country that you don't find in canada culturally canadians are a little more understated about you know their identity as canadians and i guess that's you know part self-deprecating and that's all sort of part of the yeah you know um but uh but but down here you know that you can have you can have differences and you have these very very different regions and 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 there's a lot of you know uh, diversity amongst the subcultures within america which Mm. i also also find kind of cool because you can you you travel in the same country you don't need a passport to visit all these interesting cultures yeah um but but then there's this there's this unifying identity as as being you know american and a lot of the world you know gets very negative about that um but i think there's something really really there's just something about that that's really uh i think it's admirable you know that, that you can come from all these places but when push comes to shove this is who we are and i think that's okay i mean like there's good there's you know there's 
there's ups and downs to everything. There's a, there's a, but I, I like that. And I like that about, about uh, the United States. Hmm, right on. That's a very positive outlook of that, especially in very divisive times. So thank you for that. Hmm. So obviously, um, you've grown up Orthodox, um, then went to seminary, but you've also studied, you've, denominationalism, you know, all that stuff too. So what, um, what have you found the beauty of orthodoxy? Like even growing up in it, because a lot of people, the thing they grow up in, they don't continue to do because, you Mm -hmm. know, they find all the negative things or whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that. But what's, what has, okay, I guess not just beauty, what has kept you orthodox in your view? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean just loving Jesus. I just mean the, the practice and all that. No, good, good question. Um, well, and it really is the beauty. It, it is the beauty because because within the beauty, and this is the thing that I, you know, I've always loved it and I've always uh, treasured it. But then much later on to be able to articulate what the beauty was pointing to. Okay. Mm. Um, so, and and it's, it's, it's all pointing to the vision of the glory. So it's all pointing to what it's kind of taking us back to Mount Sinai and Moses asking to see the glory. And, and he's, the Lord says, well, you can see my back. You can't see my face because it'll be too much for you. Too much glory. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you can stand behind the, hide behind this rock and I'll kind of turn you away, but you still, but he still got to see as much as he could see. Yeah. Right. So, so all of these things, the music, the, the art, the, the liturgical, traditions all these things are are about that they're they're about they're about pointing us to reminding us of and allowing us some kind of access into that glory that it, it really it, it's always with us but it's easy for us to you know to lose sight of it because there's all this other stuff around us and and we are easily distracted by by all of this so it was that beauty and there's uh, there's this one um, this one prayer in the orthodox church that says all true beauty is both inspired by the spirit and 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 leads us offers us a a vision uh, of the kingdom and that's all beauty that's not just sacred art and things but that's music and everything that just, beauty does that it, it 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 reflects it shows us the glory of god and so the you know from an evangelical standpoint one thing i've heard in the past um and most times because people don't know which is they should educate themselves i guess but it's the repetition and that kind of bugs them. They, you know, they call that religion, you know, I've probably done that in my life, but, um, how have you kept that strong desire to be a priest in orthodoxy, knowing that there's that repetition, that sacredness, but it, you know, liturgical outlook. Um, mm-hmm. how do you see that as the beauty of, of orthodoxy? Like that, okay. the more traditional stuff. Sure. Okay. So why is that important? I guess is why I'm asking. Okay, it's important because it's how we're hardwired. So, you know, if I if I say to you, you know, what are we saying after the seventh inning of a baseball game? Right? Take me out to the ball game. Right. How do you know that? How do I, how do I know that? Because we repeat it all the time. Yeah. You know, what what is the what do we do on the fourth of July? We set off fireworks. Yep. We repeat that every year. Our entire, we're hardwired for patterns and for repetition, Um, but meaningful patterns and repetition don't, I mean, sometimes they, they, they do still feel like a drag, but most of the time they don't because they, we, we find the meaningful of, you know, you have your morning ritual, what you do in the mornings and, and boy, if you break that, 
your, your entire day gets like all kind of mm. off and weird because so so the the repetition is about patterns and it's that's that's just how we're hardwired we, we we're hardwired for that that kind of to live like that it, it's what we anchor ourselves in cognitively psychologically and even we would say spiritually that we need that i mean you look at you look at your children right i mean how many times you know when when my oldest was was really little um he really got into the the Disney movie, The Aristocats, mm -hmm. and, and I probably saw that movie eight thousand times. I mean, I think we probably had to buy like, it was it, it was long enough ago that it was a VHS, but like like another tape because he wore it out, kind of thing. But that repetition, see, children, you know, repetition is so important for them. It's how they learn. It's how they kind of anchor their lives. But we see that beyond as well. Um, when you look at let's say Eastern Orthodoxy and you see the repetition and the patterns, well, they come from a different culture. They come from a different world and a different worldview, so they can they can seem they can seem foreign. I, I'm not you know going to say they don't, but but what's the underlying idea? It, it's it's hardwired into every every human being patterns and rhythms. Oh, okay. how we our lives. And how did they, um, meaning the Eastern Orthodox, decide which patterns they were going to do? Like the lit, what the liturgy was. How long did that take? Oh, centuries. You know, for it to really it, it to to really kind of lock in. Um, and you know, it was, it was very, it was various kinds of influences. Um, the, the, the church, the, the Christianity in Jerusalem had a very important influence in it. Um, Constantinople, the, uh, the, 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 obviously the capital of the Byzantine empire, because what happened in the capital happened everywhere else yeah. that set a, that set a standard. So that came into it. Um, the monastic element in, in the church as well, uh, also had a part. So a lot of things shaped shaped how it you know how it all kind of emerged and certainly also i mean before that uh, jewish worship yeah and you and know, you guys ex and, you guys consider yourself an extension of judaism right but yeah like like the yeah a continuation or, or we would say that christianity is the fulfillment of judaism yeah um you know that that i i just posted a thing on that i think it was i don't know today or yesterday, yesterday. about you know the conversion of paul but did convert did paul really convert did he change religions no he didn't change religions but he found the messiah he found his faith fulfilled in the messiah and the messiah taught him this new way of looking at his faith hmm. who who was who was part of it how do you become part of it what does it mean to be part of it what does god promise us what you know that's what happened and so that's very much a a part of a part of orthodoxy is that, that that this is all part of a living continuity. Uh, so it's not just that we are part of a living continuity that takes us to the apostles. It's all the way back to Abraham. Yeah, yeah that's great lead in because one of my questions was just the truth of orthodoxy. And, and what I mean mm -hmm. by that is, I mean, there's 20,000 plus denominations <laughs> in the world. Right. And, sure. um, and if you ask all of them, they consider themselves the faith handed down to them, right? Like the Baptists right. think Absolutely. that, everyone yeah. thinks that. So um, why do you feel, and give us examples, uh, that Eastern Orthodoxy is the faith handed down to us? Um, who were the apostles um, that brought it to you? You know, all that stuff. If you could just, because our audience doesn't know. Um, and right. so enlighten our audience that why you think this is the faith handed down to us. Right. So it, because we would be, we would say that we offer a demonstrable continuity with the faith and life of the, of the earliest Christians. Um, and that we demonstrable because we can, I, I'd say that we can demonstrate it. We can demonstrate it first of all with, um, documents, ancient texts, I, I was just having a conversation with a couple of people earlier today, and I said, you know, things like 
liturgy and body and blood of Christ and um, uh, the saints and all of these things, you can find you can find references to all of this in texts going all the way back to the late or the early, excuse me, the early second century. So mm. like the early 100s. Um, so you can see that there, uh, you know, you can see, uh, Justin Martyr, this is, and who, who was born, probably knew the apostle John as a young man who the apostle John oh, really? writing, uh, writing about, uh, about, you know, an early Christian worship service. What does it look like when we go to church? Uh, so first of all, he, he mentions that they worship on Sundays. So, okay, there, you can see Sunday worship. And in, in, in his writings are like 110, 120, so yeah, that yeah. far back. You know, he uh, he talks about, we call this, this we the meal, we call it the Eucharist. Um, we believe that it's not like uh, other food. We believe that it is that it is the body and blood of Christ. So all that stuff is there. So we can find that. Um, also in modern archaeological uh, research and, and and discoveries, we can find it there too. So for example, you know, one of the things that really, uh, really kind of catches people uh, off guard or uh, really can stop them on the tracks when they, when you visit an Orthodox church for the first time is all the icons. Yeah. Yeah. Images everywhere. And so if you, if you, uh, Google Dura Europus house church, D U R A dash E U R P O S house church. So this is uh, this this is a uh, Duryopolis was this it was in um, eastern Syria and it was a uh, a Roman garrison. And so they the archaeologists have discovered this. They dig it up and they found they found a house church. Really, and and it's 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 very interesting because it was clearly somebody's home that had been probably donated to be a church because there's an area where there was a, there was like a worship area. It was like a like a U shape with a, with a courtyard. So one side was like the worship area. There was a side that looks like it was for catechesis, and there and then there was a baptistry. Was this giant baptism font? No way. Oh yeah, Dear Europus. Okay, look it up. House church. Yeah, look it up. But and the thing about it is that there's images on the walls of the entire thing. Oh, because and then and you know I won't put words in your mouth, but people were literate, so that told that helped them understand the story, right? Of course, yeah, yeah absolutely. How how would you how would you know? So and that was covered in images. But the other significant thing about Dior Europus uh, is if you Google Dior Europus synagogue, because they also discovered a synagogue on the site, and this thing has even more developed iconography all over the walls oh, wow. than the house church. It, so this would, would that could be considered christian then or was that catholic or no it was, it was it was it was jewish it was a jewish synagogue, synagogue huh? yeah and it's covered in images oh. uh and so the, and these are dated around around 250 a.d something like that is, is when is when they've been so okay so there's documentary data that okay at least at that time in in christianity the images were used in worship the roman catacombs of course are covered in images but even in judaism you see yeah uh images were used in worship and and what's really interesting about the about the synagogue is that the writing on the images is in greek not in hebrew hmm. because the farther you got from jerusalem the less people knew hebrew huh. so it was written in the language people knew and they knew greek which of course is the also the reason why in 250 bc uh in, in a, the the this this greek translation of the old testament was commissioned this what we call the septuagint Septuia, yeah. because it, people outside of 
outside of Jerusalem couldn't read Hebrew. So they needed to be able to read the scriptures to pray to, to learn. So again, you see, so you have, you have, you have, you know, a archeological proof that even in Judaism outside of Jerusalem, they were using Greek. Wow. So, so it's, it's there. And so, okay, it's there. Now, does that, does that absolutely conclusively say that that's what was going on? And if, if, you know, the main body of the, of the church, well, nobody writes against it. You know, there's, there's nobody within that main body of the church that says, Hey, you know, images are bad or, Hey, you know, uh, Mary is wrong or, Hey, you just don't see any, anybody writing against it. The only place you see people writing against any of it are in the heretical teachings. You yeah. don't see it yeah. in, in the main, you know, the main line, the main, you know, the, the Christian, the Christian church. And that's just, that's just historical data. So, um, that would be, you know, how we would, how we would, Trace you know, make back, that yeah. claim and, 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 and yeah, and, and that you can just trace it back. So the Catholics obviously believe St. Peter was the rock mm-hmm. of their church. Who mm-hmm. does Eastern Orthodox look to as the, the father or fathers who brought this in? Meaning obviously yeah. Jesus, Paul, but I mean, I've read a bunch of stuff about even John Mark and Alexandria mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. So when you trace it back, who right. who do you guys view as your Peter? <laughs> I guess. Well, it's it's all of them. It's the apostles. It's the, it's the it's the company of the twelve for us. Um, Meaning, who traveled to oh, Africa okay. and stuff? Who started Got those it. churches? Okay. That who, who so, were involved with so, Paul and all them? I got you. Okay, so Africa Africa was was a mark um, up into the into the lands that were that are now considered Eastern Europe, Ukraine, Russia, and all that was the Apostle Andrew. Um, into India was the Apostle Thomas. Um, I am forgetting a bunch of them, yeah. but uh, you, you can kind of see how they how they spread, you know, into these different areas uh, to to preach uh, to preach the gospel. Yeah, but as far as like, yeah, who's our Peter? Like, who? Where does it all begin? Well, it all begins. On Pentecost, with, with the and that's of course one of the one of the differences that we have with the Catholic Church is mm-hmm. the whole idea about, about primacy, and who's in charge and how and, and what does it mean to be in charge? Yeah, and ex- unpack that a little bit. What's the difference? Absolutely sure. So, um, so in in the Orthodox Church, when we look at the primacy of Peter, right, uh, we would we would say that we have we have no problem with the idea that he has a primacy of honor. You know, someone has to chair the meetings and someone gets to speak for the body. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Uh, we wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, it, where our issue comes is w- with the idea that he has a primacy of authority so that he is above everybody else. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah. That's that's our problem with uh, the, the, the Catholic understanding of the primacy of Peter. Uh, also, the idea of that he is the vicar of Christ, uh, th- this is a term that kind of makes our makes us not feel very comfortable because a vicar is somebody who's there because that person is absent yeah, yeah. Uh, well it's like well hang on you know you can't really call him we would say you can't call him a vicar of christ because christ isn't absent from the church he's with us always even to the end of the age mm-hmm. uh but it, so it's this idea of it's this idea of primacy and uh and and exactly you know what does that mean and for us again it, we don't we would not have a problem looking at peter as the first among equals but but we could not see him as having any kind of authority a higher voice a veto if you will yeah. over everybody else particularly we would say look that just doesn't that doesn't doesn't track with what we see in the scriptures i mean the first apostolic council 
was was uh, Acts chapter eight. That's run by James, not Peter. And, and that, that's and, in Jerusalem. And, that was the Jerusalem. That's in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that that was the, that was the whole that was dealing with the whole issue about we, okay now we've got all these Gentiles that want to become Christians. Yeah. Christianity is this, you know, he, Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. So do these Christians need to become Jews before they can become Christians? That was the, that was the debate. See, the very, it's interesting. The very first thing the church struggles with is its, its own growth. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> what do you do with the outsiders? <laughs> right. And what do you do with the outsiders that want to come in? Which of course has been a whole thing all along, but that's the first. And, but, it, but again, it's James that, 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 the chairs that synod that that never council that. it's not it's not peter um and then of course you have paul who says you know when when peter was kind of uh, backing off because because he was uh he was kind of on the side that said no that you you didn't have to become a jew to, in order to be a to be a christian but then he got some pressure from these these groups called the judaizers the one who said no you have to become a jew so then paul kind of backtracks a little bit a uh, peter excuse me backtracks a little bit and paul in his letter said and i said to his face to his face, you know, <laughs> yeah. to his face i said it so again you, you know, okay like no problem with the idea that he has an authority of honor but even in the scriptures you know he he doesn't seem to have a veto power over everybody else so that's that's a big one for so us. How, how does eastern orthodox make decisions then so obviously catholicism has a pope and uh, but how do you guys make any changes or decisions are have you seen have you seen the hobbit of course <laughs> of course and 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 or is it lord of the rings where they where they go to the trees to get they want to get the trees help which one is, that? is that oh that's that's two towers that's uh that's two they towers. go to the ends so, so that's two towers. Yeah. right right so they want the and and all the trees and they and they have all this long discussion and finally the you know, the tree comes back and says we've decided that we're going to think about what you have to say yeah and do nothing <laughs> yeah and so that's so orthodoxy things it's it's everything is done in a conciliar fashion and ideally it doesn't always it doesn't always work like this but ideally through the process of consensus where everybody can agree on what has been said oh goodness how do you do that it takes time yeah it takes time uh, yeah and that's and that's, that's like those trees you know it's like yeah. it, it does take time and so yeah the, the so i guess you know in the catholic church when you have this one person who says no this is what we're going to do and this is how decisions get made a lot quicker but um for us though we feel that it's important that, that the the body the body speaks the yeah. collective the collective voice for us is very important um that's why things take time uh, and also the other thing for us that's extremely important um is is unity is maintaining the 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 the, the inner and the essential unity of the church and and we will we will even sacrifice other things to maintain that unity that's amazing and that's and that and that's because Jesus himself says, you know, that in the, in the great and the great high priestly prayer of John 17, that they may all be one, that they may know me and that they may know you. And that's the, the, the big thing that is going to really convince the world of who I am, Father, and, and what you promised them, Father, is that they stick together. So oftentimes we'll see we'll see things where you're almost things get almost on the edge of a decision and they'll pull back because it's it's you know it's you could they, it's, it's almost like testing the ground and saying no nah, this doesn't you know so some unity is incredibly important for us and yeah like I, like I say everything's got got its upside and its downside it takes time for for things to change 
uh, but by the same token, and even even you know trying to guard the unity, you still obviously have of course disputes and things well, like that. Read yeah. Corinthians. Paul was talking yeah. about that a lot, and as someone who a, went through a, a church lot. split. I love your heart, Father Jarmus. In that, um, what do you do when you don't agree? Well, what we do when we don't when we don't agree, like you is, personally, like if you personally didn't agree with the oh, decision, what, what do you do? Yeah, what do I do? Um, well, uh, what I do is I I keep my mouth shut and trust providence. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, that's what I do, um, and you know, yeah. I, yeah, that's just I I I can't tell you any more than that. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I one of the things I say to to people that are that are you know come into the church, you know, uh, the one to become Orthodox, is I say, look, you're not going to a you're not don't even tr assume that you you're going to understand everything because you're not because there's certain things that are just beyond our even our capacity to understand. Don't don't even think you're going to agree with everything. Because you don't necessarily even have to agree with everything. And I always point out, if you're a parent, you get this right away. Yeah. You know, I got I got three boys, 27, 22, and 19. Do I agree with everything they do? Do I understand everything they do? <laughs> nope. And they will say the exact same thing about me. So that's, you know, that goes in two directions. Yeah. But is that a deal breaker? Never because because we love each other and so ultimately it's about do you feel the love of god here you know do, like like um luke and cleopas on the road to emmaus do you feel your heart burning with the presence of christ and the love of christ here and if that's what you feel and if that's what you're experiencing then then this is then this is where you need to be <laughs> uh but but the idea of you know i i'm going to agree with everything and if i can't agree with everything I'm not going to accept anything. You're, you, you know, you're, you're, you're selling yourself short from from great blessings and great riches of, of, of God by doing that. Yeah, and journeying, so journeying together, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and certain things you kind of come later, or certain things turn out. You know, you look. Oh, this is why this happened like this because God's you know trajectory took it this way, but it had to go through these you know sub steps before it got there. Yeah. But again, you know, that's, the, I mean, look at the scriptures, that's all over the scriptures. You know, it's, it's, it's the lives of the saints. It's everything, you know, that, that this is, this is how, this is how God takes us on this, on this trajectory that ultimately, whether we get our way in any specific thing or not, can we trust providence? Hmm. You know, can we trust that everything is in the hand of God and that the trajectory is where, you know, we're going forward. in the direction yeah. we need to go? And it's forward, yeah, and yeah. it's forward. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, you and I have talked so much, and our audience has heard me say this too. Like, I, that's one, I just appreciate orthodoxy for that reason. As I just said, you know, I've been through some hard times with this, and just to see that compassion and journeying together, like you guys do so well at having open, open hands when it comes to non-essential things sometimes, and I just really mm -hmm. appreciate that about you guys. Um, however yeah we don't always ahead. get it right we don't always get it right but. well that's a great one where where um you've been orthodox your whole life and how mm -hmm. old are you mr father i am 29 <laughs> oh I you am, lost uh, your hair like i did in my 20s yeah in my 20s. <laughs> i i'm i'm 58 okay and so i say that just because so our audience knows you've been yeah. around a lot um yep. where do you see orthodoxy needing to change 
And if you can't so, say that because you'll be fired, you don't have to say it. <laughs> no, no. I, I, well, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm orthodoxy is big, right? There's th- yeah. 300 million of us in the world. But, yeah. but where, where I, I, feel, I feel more comfortable speaking locally, and by locally I mean in America. Okay. And more maybe by extension North America or orthodoxy in the West, but I'll say America because this is where I, where I live. Is that that orth, we need to be we need to be more united. There are just simply too many different Orthodox jurisdictions here. Uh, you know, there's the Greek Orthodox here, the Russian Orthodox, the Ukrainian Orthodox, the Serbian Orthodox, the Romanian Orthodox, and I, I mean there there are historical reasons for that. There are sociological reasons for that. There's, there's all language that. too, probably right. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's yeah. language and, and there's culture and the thing is even like see Orthodoxy is a lot bigger on the inside than on the outside. And and when you start learning about you know different things and these different different cultures and that even like things are done a little differently. Like Easter is a little different in the Romanian church, let's say, than in the, in the Greek church oh, and things like that. that. Like, oh yeah, like there, there are these little nuances that are different, um, which is, which is fine. We, we have no problem with that. Uh, but, but all of this, I, I, I don't believe, and, and I'm not saying anything new here because, because any Orthodox person that, that might happen to hear this will know that this has been said for the last at least 50 years or more uh, in America is, is that we, we need one orthodox church in the united states hmm. that everybody is under because again all this the, the, this fragmentation doesn't help it doesn't help us move the mission forward um it, it doesn't help us uh how in, can you explain that of, how does it not help like how does well, that hurt you guys okay it, it, it hurts us because uh you can you can go to one orthodox church let, let me do something really simple for example uh, well, simple, simple, but not so calendars, right? So you know uh, there are Orthodox churches uh, in in the United States that are still completely on the Julian calendar. So everything is all, all the holidays are thirteen days later. Christmas is January the seventh. All of that, <laughs> yeah. right? But there are other Orthodox churches in the United States that that follow like everything related to to Orthodox Easter is the same as the rest of the Orthodox world, but everything that's on a fixed date is on the Gregorian calendar. So it's like Christmas is December 25th and all that. So just on the basis of like, what what holy days are you celebrating? You know, it, it, you can have two different parishes in the, in the same city on literally two different calendars. Wow. So things like that, right? So so it, it doesn't, we, we need to have a one, a single Orthodox church that is all, um, you know, the, 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 that's united and that's speaking with one voice here because it, the mission needs it, you know, the to be able to to um, uh, more effectively fulfill the Great Commission and to be able to proclaim the faith and to be able to do that. Uh, and that's just something that's that's necessary here. And, and again, there, there are reasons, there are sociological and other kinds of historical reasons why that hasn't happened yet. Um, but uh, I, if do you have hope one that thing that I would say... I, I pray that it will absolutely because I think it would be you know I mean again there's a lot to it's easier said all these things are easier said let me just say that I'm not saying whoa it's oh, just not, yeah, I, do. I know <laughs> yeah right yeah. Uh, but but I think that I think that in America the Orthodox Church needs to set that as an intention the Orthodox you know various we call them jurisdictions so the in the various you know different places. Uh, you know, there's only really one Orthodox Church in this country that has a, a head office in America. That's the one that I'm part of, the Orthodox Church in America, our bishops in Washington, D.C. But uh, most of the other ones, the head office is in one of these, you know, mother churches uh, in, in you know, the Middle East or Eastern Europe or um, or elsewhere. So, so you know, we need to get that sorted out. I, I admit that because I think that that, that has slowed down 
the work that we could be doing. Uh, we're doing a lot better than we used to, but we still need to sort that out. Is So is there, since there's no Pope in Greek Orthodoxy, right? who's at the top? So the, the, the first among equals in the Orthodox uh, world is the Patriarch of Constantinople. Okay. So he is the one who is the spokesman for the the church, you know, the the world Orthodox Church who would call the meetings, chair the meetings. You yeah. know, it's patriarchal. And that, forgive me, and that, does that include the other Orthodoxes? You just like Serbian, Russian, or did, yes. does the Russians have their own guy? Well, there. So every these various places have their own primates, their own head bishops locally, but. In terms of all of these these local bishops, right, the first among equals of them is the Patriarch of Constantinople. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so, like, yeah. you know, like you just said, like in Ukrainian, in Ukraine, those churches still are under Constant, Constant, Constantinople? Uh, they're not. They're, they're well. They're yeah. Ukraine is a Ukraine is a complicated. Didn't issue. mean to bring that know. up. Maybe you figured <laughs> yeah. that out lately. I don't know. Yeah. Um, might want to leave Ukraine alone. Okay. <laughs> right now. Uh, except to pray for them. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so I mean, and again, it's, it, it's, um, it, I'm painting with a very wide brush, but the idea is that every local church has its own head, its own primate, and that any, any, um, any decisions that, uh, that impact the, the world church would be handled in council by those primates who represent their churches in those decisions. Hmm. It's it's a conciliar. Everything is a, is a conciliar model. Yeah, conversation, you, right? Yeah, we want to we want to get the voice. And even you know, I, I maybe I, I don't know if, if you know if you've if you've uh, done any kind of church history stuff with any of your of your your congregation. But when if you've talked about the ecumenical councils at all or Nicaea, oh, yeah. right? I've mentioned them a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so so one of the important things to know about the ecumenical councils, and ecumenical means universal, and the idea is that whatever decisions and decrees come out of those are universally binding. So, but one of the things to understand about those is that the church does not call ecumenical councils. So the idea is that it, that it's not announced before the fact that whatever we decide is going to be universally binding. There's this whole informal process called reception. So the church gathers in council, all these heads of the churches and their, you know, uh, assistants and representatives, and they issue a statement. And then that statement kind of gets, gets, um, spread around, you know, through the church. And it's this informal process, process called reception that when that, those decisions are received by the wider body of the church as yes, this is, this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit then that title ecumenical is actually given after the fact, not before the fact. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So like what, uh, like in your position at your church and there's a decision mm -hmm. that's handed down to you from above, um, right. it just is what it is? Meaning like even if you weren't for it, you got it, you're, you're doing it as well, an act of submission or... Well, you know, I, I would, and again, I'm I'm in a very fortunate position because I have a bishop that that is very open to dialogue. So if something came down that I was not comfortable with for whatever reason, not comfortable is, is not a good way, may, maybe of saying it, but that I didn't agree with it, I, I had some kind of an issue with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, and I and this has happened that I've gone to him and I've said, you know, your Eminence, uh, I, I I just I have an issue with this and this, and I think this and that. And there are times when he will, he has said, oh, you know what? Okay, you're right. So, you know, 
here's how you can modify something like that. But then there are other times when he has simply said, no, this is what we're doing. And I've said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you allowed? So liturgy is, you know, that's the main form of worship that you guys do. Are you allowed to mm-hmm. break from that? Break from liturgy? I'm, I don't, I mean, like, do you follow a pattern that's handed down to you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, because you had just mentioned how the Russians and all them have some differences in there. So So I was going to, I was going to say, yeah. So, so there's a pattern that's handed down, but that pattern tends to also get its own local, you know, nuances. And even, even down to like, even down to like the parish level, like, I mean, you come to one Orthodox church and especially if you come for a while and you kind of get used to the way one Orthodox church does things, you know, and you go to another one, you're going to go, wait a minute. That's not, so, so there are local there and there's room for that. There's room for the kind of local things. But but the general structure is the general structure, um, and you know th- there are two there are two basic uh, kinds of liturgical uh, traditions uh, in in Orthodoxy. There's like a there's the Slavic one, which is sometimes um, as an umbrella called the Russian one, although it's more than just the Russians. And there's a, there's this Byzantine one, which is often called the Greek one, but again, it's it's about more than just the Greeks. And so these are these are different. Like if you go to a church that has one or the other, you you go long enough and you start seeing the differences. Um, so you you start seeing these kinds of things. But, but you know one of the one of the struggles in a, in in America, like again again, this is some of this exactly about you know not having one church. Yeah. Is you can go to two different churches where you go, wait a minute, you know that music sounds different, or or you know there, there's other things that it's like, hang on. So it would be nice to have a way of just centralizing it, at least locally. You know that this is this is what we're doing in it just to move it hmm. move it forward uh but yeah but but even then even then uh every parish has got its own little local little you know flavor. yeah little it, it's interesting being at saint nicholas because we have you know we have orthodox christians from all over the place we have a lot of converts and a lot of people that have just found orthodoxy along the way probably half of our congregation maybe even a little more into these days huh. but we also have various ukrainian we have macedonians they were the first they were the founders of this uh parish we have greeks we well, some greeks we have russians ukrainians and really? and every one of these brings their own you know unique little things to it so it, it's it's interesting as as the the you know the priest is the pastor here because you kind of have to know these little nuances and you know things will be a little bit different you go to you know visit somebody's house and you bless their house or you you have a funeral <laughs> service or something and everybody's got their own little you know specific little little things and so it's it's it it makes it's interesting and it keeps me on my toes you know knowing who's who and and what they're doing because you know we have this thing in the orthodox we talk about tradition right and in the orthodox church we have we talk about generally two kinds of tradition we we talk about big t tradition and small t tradition hmm. so big big t tradition that's the gospel that's that's the word and that is non-negotiable there's that stays the same all the way through but we also have these small t traditions which are these local nuances that can change uh, you know for de- depending on where you are and and where, and where you go um now a lot of times what happens is people confuse them you know and and these little local things you know you go to another church and they say they're doing this wrong because they don't i don't know whatever <laughs> they have paraffin candles instead of beeswax candles and how could they do this it's, it's you know it's this is an outrage uh so so you know sometimes we mistake these things but within the small t traditions there there are a lot of these things but um that said you know 
it's a mistake to say these aren't important because these are the things that carry, these are the vessels that carry the big T tradition. It's the way that people express it mm -hmm. and experience it and encounter it. So yeah, we have these things, but, but then there is, there's the gospel. There is the, there, there's the, the teaching of Jesus Christ and, and handed down to the apostles and, and, and as they've handed it down, that's the big T stuff. Hmm. And then in fact, that's really what tradition means. I think one of the problems with tradition in the English language is that it's only a noun. But in other languages, including Greek, tradition is also a verb. A verb, yeah. So, so just you know, the the psychology of the word is that it, it can in in English, it's it's just a thing that sits there, right? But in other languages, it it actually is an action. Hmm. To tradition means to pass something down, to hand it hand it over. Yeah, That's to keep going. Means. Yeah, to keep going. So the gospel is the is the is the tradition, the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation, and that gets passed down. Yeah. And I was just like reading that. Actually, I found that interesting with Thomas. I'm preaching on Thomas this weekend when Jesus said, like, you know, stop unbelieving and start believing that Greek word is it's it's like a forward word, like continuous, yeah. continuous belief, like hmm. continuous belief moving forward in this belief, even though you have. Yes. <laughs> so that's yes, absolutely. Yeah. Th that's really that's a, um, that's a, you know, that's my favorite thing about Greek grammar. It's called the aorist tense. And it, yeah, it's, it's this, it's this verb tense where it, it doesn't, it's like open-ended. Yes. Yep. It's like, do it and keep doing it. And, and what is also important uh, to know about, about the New Testament and about, about that particular use, the grammatical idea is every time that the word repent happens in the New Testament, it's also done in the aorist tense. Huh. Didn't so it's that. repent, it's repent and keep repenting, like be in a, have a heart of repentance, you know, make, have a habit of repentance in your life. Man, that's a good word. Cause that's where, that's where, in my opinion, I don't consider myself evangelical anymore, but that's where evangelicalism, mm. it's all about this one decision, this one yeah. time in your life. And after that, you're just good. You're covered. And I'm not saying that that's false in the sense of the finished work of Jesus Christ, but I'm just saying like it, repentance became a bad word to us. And yeah. as I start, you know, it means to change your mind. It doesn't just mean to turn around. Yeah. It means to change your mind and line your thoughts up with God. And once I knew that it almost made repentance fun. I know that sounds really odd, but, no, but it made yeah, repentance no. like exciting to be like, Oh my gosh, Lord, I'm wrong. Make my mind right. You know, yes. not like yes. I feel like a turd and you're mad at me. And that's that's how yes. I grew up in evangelicalism, you know. No, for sure. For sure. And again, you see repentance. Is, you're right. And it's this positive dynamic movement. You know, it, it comes from this it, this this very difficult word uh, in Greek to translate um, in, into English, this word nous, N-O-U-S. Hmm. Um, when when uh, in, in the letter to the Romans, when Jesus talks about the renewal of your mind, it's, it's always said mind in, 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 uh, in English, but it's, but it's the renewal in Greek is of your nous. And the nous is this, the spiritual capacity in us to perceive God. You know, the, 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 uh, the ability to, to perceive the spiritual world. So metania, which is repentance, is like changing your nous. So it's turning around and being receptive to, no longer to the fallen toxic things of the world, but being receptive to God and opening yeah. our hearts to God. And you're right. That is great a very word, dynamic man. thing. That's a great word. I, so I always, you know, I've mentioned this a few times, but it's funny how evangelicals don't like tradition and they, they, you know, they kind of, they do, I've heard it. I've been a part of it where they've mocked orthodoxy or Catholicism, mm -hmm. but then you go into every evangelical church and they do announcements. They play two songs. Absolutely. They pray, <laughs> they take communion oh, yeah. once a so, month. So it's like, they're just as traditional, you know? Well, because, yeah, because what, because of like we, we, we said at the beginning, rhythms and patterns. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, yeah, Father Peter Gilchrist, and who wrote the book Becoming Orthodox, used to say that there isn't a church around that doesn't have liturgy. Nope. I mean, right. they might not call. You know, if we if we def, if we define liturgy as sort of a, a systematic, organized work of God's people, right? Like, you know, there, there's a way that we do it. And and if you, yeah, and I mean, as a Protestant pastor, if you if you switch things up, you know, you're going to hear about it. Oh Just like gosh, if I yeah. did it, at, you know, on a Sunday, if I switch things up, I mean, I'd really hear about it. But, um, you know, but but that's the thing. we Because we just, we need patterns. We need rhythms. That we anchor our lives in these things. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at how much of the scripture, particularly the Old Testament, is written in, in a rhythmic way, you know. And he died and, 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 and rested with his fathers. And mm-hmm. he died and rested with his father. You know, and it, it has that. Or the first day, and there was morning and e- evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. Rhythmic patterns are all over the place because that's just how, we're hardwired it's how our brains and our hearts that's how they work yeah hey guys we hope you are enjoying this episode of the zoo town podcast um we just want to take a moment right now to remind you that likes shares uh reviews they go a huge way as far as getting the message out further into our community but also abroad and into other communities so if you value this conversation and past conversations that you have heard on this podcast we ask that you take the time to actually go and give us five stars don't give us four we need all of them and uh, leave us a review thanks again for being listeners to this podcast and contributors and joining the conversation so right now there is a movement. Um, I would almost say an exodus from evangelicalism, and I'm not saying everywhere, but I am saying it is. There's a new reformation happening, and over and over and over, I am hearing evangelicals turn to orthodoxy, um, myself included. And um, I mean, I've just read an article about assemblies of God pastors who are leaving and going to becoming Eastern Orthodox priests and stuff. I mean, it's, this mm-hmm. is a, this is a big thing. Montana is always 10 years behind everything. So we're kind of, we view ourselves on the cusp of this. Um, but how, and how, what's some advice to some evangelicals who are coming to Orthodoxy and well, if speaking to yes. me, you know? So, so if you're always 10 years behind, you're ready for Orthodoxy already. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> See, now that I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll edit that one out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, no. Uh, well, okay. So, What's so, some advice you'd give to people who are just looking for that rhythm? And yes. they're looking for the, the biggest one, Father, is just I hear people just tired of the control. And they're tired of the almost bullying that mm. um, because of theology, I mean, we just hold people to the fire on so many things to control them. Mm. Because if, if with all due respect, in evangelicalism, I have learned people think their theology saves them. Like, not Jesus. It's getting us all the right answers, and therefore we prove then that we're following Jesus. And so, again, that's that's my perspective of this, and I've done that and so, preached that. So what is just some advice that... How how do we come to orthodoxy? So can can I offer you one observation as an outsider before we before I do that? You may. Sure. So that's interesting because that's that's more proof that we become what we hate. Hmm. You know. Do tell. Well, because okay, so so you know the the, the sort of that totalitarian authoritarian papacy thing, mm-hmm. right? 
we don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want that. But, but, and I've heard this from you and I've heard this from others, but there's a whole totalitarian authoritarian kind of thing that even goes on in evangelicalism. So, and, and I mean, look, I'm not, you know, I'm just, we become what we hate. And so, you know, we always have to be so careful. And I guess this, this would be, so this turns to yep, my advice, advice. Yep. Um, is, is that, is that we have to, you know, take your time. And, and in that process, you know, you, we, you, you need to make peace with your spiritual past. Because if, if you're driven to look at the Eastern Orthodox Church out of, you know, like if you're if resentment for where you've been, um, or, or if it's, if what's driving you is I'm not that anymore, you, you kind of end up taking that with you. <laughs> <laughs> for you sure. come in yeah you know so so being able to say okay where i was is where i was god was with me god, the holy spirit was leading me i i'm here today because of because of that right so to be able to to make peace to forgive where where forgiveness needs to happen and and to go forward as a positive thing that you would say okay this is something that i've again my heart burns when i see this you know you know, and and to do it for that reason, but certainly I would say that 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 I would strongly and encourage you to to consider and to you know read, especially if you're a pastor, if you're somebody who's got some, you know, um, interest in sort of the more the more academic stuff, read the Church Fathers, uh, read uh, read up on, on on some church history, because again, don't take my word for it when I say that there's this living continuity. You know, check it out yourself because because you can and 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 you'll see it. So fine, you know, do that. But also, I would say take your time. There's there's nothing wrong with with it with a very um, a good methodical movement uh, rather than making rash decisions. I, I think that that that's that's really important because, um, you know, again, rash decisions, decisions that are kind of made on impulse. You know, you have to make certain decisions need to be made with a peaceful heart. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Anthony the Great, Saint Anthony the Great, the found, the sort of the founding father of Christian monasticism. Uh, he really didn't. I mean, there were there were there were monks before him, but but he was sort of like the founding father of of monasticism as a movement in the life of the church. Okay. Um, so somebody asked him once, well, you know, Abba, Father, what what must I do to be, you know, to 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 uh, um, to be saved, what must I do to, to find uh, communion with God? And and and, and Saint Anthony said, uh, always have the commandments of God before your eyes. Uh, pray, make it a, a point of, to pray and to pray without ceasing. And then the third thing he said was, and wherever you are, do not easily leave that place. Hmm. And, a, yep. and yeah, and because because there is there is something very important about sort of stability you know and and we can't be just sort of hopping from place to place so i i go over here and something comes up come come comes around that i'm not comfortable with so now i'm going to hop over oh, here yeah. oh yeah right right so and to anybody that was that is interested in, in learning more about the orthodox church um you know you are going to find difficult people here you are going to be disappointed in the orthodox church you are going to be frustrated in the orthodox church and the reason for that is because it's full of people yeah it's human <laughs> yeah and so that all that all is going to happen and see sometimes people will you know they kind of come in and again it's like i'm leaving all of this behind and then they get some kind of 
I don't know, disappointment. And it's like, oh, you know, you weren't supposed to do this. And it's like, well, no, hang on. I mean, so take your time. Yeah. Um, study, pray, uh, align yourself with the prayer of the church. And the and the the best place to start doing that is you don't even have to buy a new a new book, is just open the Psalms. Yeah. Make the make the Psalms an integral part of your prayer life. Yeah. And just begin by immersing yourself like that. And, 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 uh, and, and that's, I, I believe that that's, that's the way to do it. I, I think that, um, well, and I asked that question know. cause you said that to me when we first talked on the phone and that was very impactful towards to me that, okay. um, I had so many wounds and I've given mm-hmm. wounds, you know, and I've repented for those, but I had so many wounds from evangelicalism. You, you said to me, you said, well, you got to the spot you're at now because of it. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. was like, oh man. And what, then I started realizing and, and even our staff that a lot of people who leave, I consider it like politics, right? A lot sure. of people have left one side or the other. So let's say right wing conservative politics for more progressive politics. And they didn't sure. like how vitriolic and angry Republicans were, but now I see them doing the exact same thing on the other side. Because they shame because you we, if you don't agree we with become them. What we, we become what we hate. Yep. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. they, they literally just switched sides. Um, yeah. And they're doing the exact same things. Like, you know, open-minded, tolerant liberals, right? Are mad, yeah. just as mad as far-right patriots, you know? And I just, sure. I see that, I say that because I see that in the church too, and I've seen it myself. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, you get nitpicky and cynical and all kinds mm-hmm. of things, and that, that was just yeah. a good word, and that's why I asked that question. It was like, that kind of gave me some peace that, like you said, providence. Yeah. I, was, I was meant to do this because right. that's where God led me, but he's leading me somewhere else, so... That's a good word. Yeah. Really good word. Um, what yep. is the future of orthodoxy, do you think? To continue to proclaim the 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 gospel of Jesus Christ and to to be uh, an ambassador for his kingdom and his glory until he comes again. That's the uh the big the big future. <laughs> yeah. Um uh in America, my hope and prayer is that is that the Orthodox Church becomes not only more visible because I think it is more visible, yeah. but I would, I would hope that it would become more accessible, which is to say that you could find more Orthodox communities in more places. Yeah. One of the, one of the things, you know, I, I'm, I, my heart, my heart aches. It doesn't quite break, but it aches at this point. My heart aches for people that I, you know, that they'll, they'll, they'll send me messages, you know, uh, on my, you know, on, on Instagram usually, cause that's, where I seem to have the most connections, but that they're interested in orthodoxy. They really, you know, they're, they're, they're excited about it. And there, there isn't an orthodox church within a hundred miles. Yeah. And so they can't, they can't plug into a community. And, and th- you know, th- that really is the thing about Christianity is it, it is completely built around community. Um, you know, the word church, ecclesia, which is, which is how the Greeks take the, the, the Hebrew kahal into, into Greek. And it's all, it's community, it's gathering just it, it it doesn't even imply people need to get together it says people need to get together so you know i th- that would be my hope for the future of orthodoxy is is that we're just more you can just find us in more places hmm. uh we're gonna jump into speed round uh you kind of already answered one of my questions so here's just some spitfire okay. speed round ones i'll do my best you'll do great yeah evangelical struggle with mary 
why do you pray to Mary? Why do you embrace Mary? Well, okay, so we we embrace Mary, start, first of all, because in Luke chapter 1, Mary says, all generations will call me blessed. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's in the Bible that that we will call we will call her blessed we will we will uh intentionally single her out for her role in salvation because that's that's the context of course of of all of that um people say why do you call why do you call mary mother of god well uh in also in, in that's in the gospel of luke when mary who is now pregnant with jesus goes to elizabeth and elizabeth says to her you know, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? Mm-hmm. Well, who's who's Elizabeth's Lord? It's not Caesar. It's not Herod. It's God. Yep. So if if Elizabeth is calling Mary the mother of my Lord, she's calling her the mother of God. And so that is, a, that is we would say, a scriptural, that, that that's founded in the scriptures. Mary for us is the great prayer warrior. She is the queen mother. She is, she is the, the, epitome of discipleship and who started when, that can i may I, i'm sorry because it never says that in the new testament no so who uh, who passed that along to you guys like where did that start well it starts as early as as the as the early second century you see writings about about mary and and her the important role that she played um and I guess that's the other thing that we would say too, uh, and, and of course this is a major departure from from Protestantism. We would say that not everything that is a part of the life of the church is found in the New Testament. Um, in fact, uh, if we look at if we look at the New Testament, it is we would say that it is largely a kind of a a, a group of pastoral books, best pastoral texts, written uh, with the the intention of addressing specific issues. This Luke is great for this because that that's how he kind of begins both his gospel and the book of Acts, yeah, right? Yeah. Since there was the thing, I think we should probably do. so you know so so not everything that happens uh, it gets explicitly outlined in the New Testament, except that Paul particularly will say, "Hey, keep doing what you're doing because you're you're doing the right thing," but you never quite get this you know itemized list of exactly exactly what they're doing. Um, you know, we are the body of Christ. And, and so if we are the body of Christ, then, then Christ honored his mother. Christ is the lawgiver, right? He's the one who gave us the Ten Commandments, the one who said, honor your father and your mother. So, I mean, if he said it, then he probably did it himself. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he was, he was concerned enough about his mother that while he was dying for us on the cross, you know, he, he took the time. While he was dying for us on the cross, he took the time to make sure that someone was going to take care of his yeah. mother. So, uh, you know, she, she gets singled out. And so why do you pray to her? We like, pray to her. We ask her for her intercessions. We ask her to pray for us. And particularly, we have this, uh, we have this phrase, using a boldness as a mother, that, that, that she, would, she could have access to her son that, that somebody else just wouldn't have because she's his mom. Now, I want to say this. Um, we do not believe that Mary is ontologically superior to anybody okay it, it has nothing to do with with that it has to do with the grace of god that whatever we say about mary we say because we believe that the god in his by, by his grace has 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 gifted her with these things and we would say that about all the saints too that it's not like they're some kind of spiritual super beings they're they're just like us but but that God has has given them has given them uh, by His grace has given them some agency in all of this. And you know, if you look at Reve- in the Book of Revelation, 
uh, where it talks about the angel has the incense. It's a couple, four and eight, I think, are the two chapters. But what does it say? What does it say about the incense? It says the incense was the prayers of the faithful. So the angel takes the prayers of the faithful to the throne of God. Hmm. Yeah. That's intercession. Yeah. So you know, and if and if human beings are greater than angels, then if angels are doing it, then huh. you know. Yeah. Uh, infant baptism. Uh, so infant baptism, uh, baptism is understood uh, in the Orthodox. First of all, we have this re these references in the particular book of Acts that the entire households are getting baptized. Now, it doesn't say entire households, including children, but it also doesn't say entire households, excluding children. Yeah. Um, and for us, the, uh, the the theology of baptism is found in the uh, book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. Those who are baptized die with Christ and ar arise again with Christ. It is about this new life, this new resurrected life that we receive with Christ. And just like our first birth was was hopefully and ideally a gift of love that, that has been given to us by our, by our parents, so the second birth as well, the baptism of water that Jesus talks about in the Gospel of John is also given to us as a gift of love by our parents so that we can take part in the life in Christ as soon as possible. And I would just uh, offer, uh, adding there, if you talk about people in, who are involved in early childhood development, they will tell you that the five most important years of our human beings entire life are the first five. The most we do the most connect, the most neurological connections, the, all these values, the, our personality, everything is shaped within the first five years of our life. So, given that, why would we not want Christ part of a human being's life at that time? But they, uh, again, Protestants say they're not making that decision. They're not making that decision. They didn't. They also didn't make the decision to be born. Yes. So they are brought into this life and they are given the gift of new life. Um, you know, the, the idea that, that baptism is, is about a conscious decision. So what do you do with people um, who, who have cognitive issues? What do you do with people on the, on the spectrum? You know, what does that mean for them? I, I think that's, that's a problematic idea when you kind of look at, okay, well, you know, um, also like awareness. I mean, you could, you know, you can make a conscious decision and then you, you can still fall away from it. Yeah. I mean, so there's, you know, so I, I, and for us, the conscious decision is the decision that we make every day, you know, to it's that repentance, it's that metania word, right? It, that it's every day we, we make a conscious decision to embrace the light of Jesus Christ. Um, so for us, it's, it's not so much the, we don't need, that baptism is not so much about I make a, a personal decision to accept Christ, but that I am I am invited and brought into the life of the church as a gift through the grace of God in the sacraments. And you had mentioned something when I brought this up to you um, about like if your kid is sick, right? Explain that, how, you know, you said you want to take him to the best doctor, right? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, right. So because, be, and that's, okay, so that's very important because, our, you know, the entire Orthodox model uh, is, is the, the healer. Like Christ is the physician. Salvation is therapy, right? Salvation is healing. And, and, and Christ, and he's, Jesus says it, right? Those who are sick don't need to, who are well, don't need a physician. Those who are sick, right? He calls himself the physician. So if my child is sick, I gravely ill, 
Yeah, I'm not going to say, well, I'm going to wait until my child can decide for himself or herself what doctor to to go to. I'm going to get that child to the best doctor I can as quickly as I can. Like you're not going to wait for the child to say, hey, I need to go to the doctor. Yeah, I think I need to go to the doctor or I think I want to go to that doctor, not that doctor. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to find the best doctor I can and get my child there right away as quickly as possible so that the therapy, the healing process can already start. Good word. How do you guys view sin? Uh, we don't like it. <laughs> um, so, so sin. Okay, so so the 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 scriptural word for sin is amartia, which means missing the target. And so the target is holiness. The target is is discipleship. The target is godliness. And sin is 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 not hitting that. Is missing that. Sin is is a is a. Sin is a difficult thing because sin is cutting ourselves off from the life giving grace of God. And the more we do that, the harder it is to perceive God, the harder it is to even realize that there's a God, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so the farther we drift away, the harder it is. And that's one of the dangers of sin. The other thing is that the more that we engage sin, then the more, the more that it, it really has a grip on us. We, we lose our, our, our freedom to sin. Uh, we, we talk about in the Orthodox church, uh, this idea called the passions and, and it, we're not talking about like being passionate about your country, passionate about, I don't know, baseball or something, yeah. but the, the passions, lacrosse. uh, <laughs> lacrosse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, which is why I'm all horse today. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the passions are, are we are probably in modern terminology, obsessions, compulsions, and addictions. Yep. And passion is this, is an interesting word because it has the same root as the word passive. So the passions are these things that we don't even put up a fight. We we know they're wrong. We know they're toxic. We know they're hurting us and are hurting people around us, and we do them anyway. So that's what happens is when we when we start, you know, when we start going off target with God, and we begin to drift away from God, that that just continues to sort of take its take control over us. And in the end, you see, we the ultimate choice any human being has is to live as a citizen of one of two kingdoms, either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the jungle. And that's kind of the bottom line choice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the more we, the more we entertain sin or, or the, the more we neglect the, the, the presence and the impact of sin in our life, the more we drift away from God. Um, what about the Bible? You had mentioned um, the, in the New Testament, right? And what I hear you saying is God is still speaking, <laughs> you know, and moving us forward. Um, in mm-hmm. Protestantism, they came up with a word in the 70s called inerrant, meaning, mm-hmm. and the funny thing about the word inerrant is it can mean so many things to so many different people, but I'll break it down. Sure. The simplest way yeah. is that all the Bible is inspired, which I believe, and I know you do too, mm-hmm. um, but it's perfect in the sense that the words of Moses, it's flat line reading. Um, mm-hmm. We need to take the law and the words of Moses just as serious as the words of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And basically every single thing in the Bible, there are no contradictions. There are, you know, nothing. It's just, it's absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. And um, that's how we view it. And if you stray from that or you even question some of that, you're pretty much branded as a heretic, but mm-hmm. How do you, how does orthodoxy view the scriptures? Um, obviously it's God breathed and all that, but how do you, mm-hmm. when you look at Jesus and Moses and the old Testament, the new Testament, how do you guys view that? 
Okay, so first of all, the, the scriptures themselves are a product of the church. They come out of the out of the life and the experience of God's people. I mean, if you think about, you know, the hundreds of of texts from the first century that were that were you know written, including Christian texts and heretical texts and all of this, that it was the church that collectively, again, nobody from the top down said it, but collectively identified the twenty seven books that we call the New Testament and said this is inspired by the Holy Spirit and has the authority of Scripture. It also didn't happen overnight. In fact, it it, it happened over the course of almost almost four centuries. Um, so so these these come out of the life of the church we also have to remember that that the first letter of the uh, of the of the new testament probably is written someplace around 50 which means that almost the entire first generation of of christians didn't have a new testament in fact didn't well i mean even even beyond that because it wasn't really until the second century that these books were looked starting to be looked at as scriptural anyway they were just the letters of the apostles mm. um so um this all comes out of the life of the church so these books have to be interpreted through the lens of the church which is which is what paul calls the church the pillar and ground of the truth and how do we sort things out how do we sort out contradictions you know here's a simple one jesus says call no man father and then he does the he does the uh the parable of the rich man and lazarus and the and the rich man says father abraham yeah <laughs> wait a minute yeah. jesus said call no man father and he's using the title father in his parable hold on what's this so so things like that, right? So it, it's the church that sorts all of that out in her wisdom, because the church is the body of Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and, and and these these scriptures come out of the church. Everything we believe is about Christ. The entire Bible is about Christ. The most important books for us are the four Gospels, the direct eyewitness accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. Uh, for us, after that, because there is a hierarchy for us. After that, we have the book of acts and the epistles then we have the books of the old testament and then at the very end of it all we have revelation yeah. because of it's, the message is so ambiguous but even <laughs> you know even even within the old testament you know we, different books have different uh different sort of levels of honor i mean the, the psalms of david uh, you go to any orthodox service any i'm saying any orthodox service and you'll hear the psalms of david mm -hmm. used it's just they're everywhere they're, they're the prayer book they're still the, our, our our main sort of hymn book if you will is that because jesus referenced them so much well yes and because they reference jesus so much mm -hmm. yep <laughs> uh you know um they're 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 the hymns and and everything's in there joy is in there frustrations in there you know disappointments in there yeah and i bring that up it's because again well the big one of the biggest things protestants who have left or you know whatever you want to call that and are leaning towards orthodoxy including myself is just the way you guys handle those differences like mm. us protestants love to do scripture wars as my friend baxter kruger says uh scripture mm -hmm. wars like you throw out a scripture i throw out a scripture and then we divide and nothing ever gets accomplished and we just think we're right you know yep. <laughs> the protestant that's why you know i think what's the saying the protestants got rid of the pope and now we have a million of them you know <laughs> so um mm -hmm. how do you deal with that like you know you got an kings and samuel it says god you know uh made david take the census and then another the other, you know in kings it's like satan made him take the census and how do you how do you guys wrestle with that you know even you get to jeremiah 7 and he's like i didn't even speak to your fathers about you know th these sacrifices and stuff i wanted relationship mm -hmm. with them so i mean that just seems 
there's there are i don't like to call them contradictions i like to call them corrections you know like like mm-hmm. one guy saw it this way even in mark mark says the lady saw jesus and didn't tell anybody you know mm-hmm. <laughs> but th- we we have whole denominations in protestant churches everyone's got a mission statement on their website everyone and they none of them agree and they all think it mm-hmm. says something how do you guys keep that continuity with the bible like um, the gospels are most important, but then you go back to those other things. How does that happen? Well, I mean, it happens because first of all, we're, we're like, we just don't have a problem with, with things not lining up completely because they're written by human beings. They're, they're written, you know, from different perspectives. And so things are not going to line up. It's not, it's not even in the details that, that we're, that we're that interested. We're interested in, in the, the general overall message. I, I like to say, and this is, this is the truth for anything in, in the Orthodox church. It's never the voice of the soloist. It's the voice of the choir that we're listening to. Hmm. So it's the whole, hmm. it's the whole message. How does, how does what's in here, you know, uh, relate, line up to the whole message that we hear, you know, the, the overall message of the scripture. So these little details don't, don't, uh, bother us. It's so fascinating. You know, you, you read some of these, um, the church fathers, when they, when they, they do scriptural interpretations, St. John Chrysostom's great for this. And he'll get to a passage and he'll say, uh, this means X, Y, and Z, but some other people think it means A, B, and C, and it could also mean E, F, and G. <laughs> and now, now in our head, right? That just blows up just, a Protestant's brain, man. That just well, and, and frankly, it, it, it blows up it blows up a modern Western person's brain because because we're all we all go to the same schools, right? We're all schooled yeah. in the same way, right? And then the next thing he does. So as Westerners, right, we're expecting the next thing for him to do to say, and it's this one, right? Because that's right. But then and then he just completely changes the subject and goes off into something else. And you think, well, wait a minute, but you see, they they just. They were okay with that. They had no problem with these things because because there there was room for it. There was room for different interpretations as long as the overall trajectory was getting you to Christ. The gospel, yeah. Then you know those those things didn't matter. Love it, love it. Um, there was a person in town here who brought in a guest speaker to basically prove I'm a heretic. Um, and within that, they they kind of trashed the creeds. Like basically, mm-hmm. they I could go in long into that. However, you guys are creedal, you know. Um, yeah. Why do you think the Nicene Creed is important and that it still stands and that we should still revere it? Well, for the same reason that all these churches have mission statements on the first page of their websites. Yep. Because <laughs> you have to state what you believe. And what was that? What what happened at that Council of Nicaea that was so important? Well, Nicaea. So Nicaea, um, it, it outlines the belief about Christ both being being both God and man. Uh, there was this there was this uh, heretical teacher named Arius who said that who, who said that Jesus wasn't was kind of like neither. He was like a super being made by God. I'm kind of again painting in big brushes here, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. But that that so the art, the articulated truth was no light of light, true God of true God. He's really God, and he's also he's also fully God and fully human. And that's that that was the that was the Nicene formula. And, and it's 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 the incarnation that that you know God God becomes one of us so that we can become one with Him. That's that's the idea. That's and Athanasius, so fully right? God. Yeah, that's yeah. Athanasius exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so so that's that's Nicaea, and, and these councils too. I should say, uh, not only was it that they that they weren't called as ecumenical councils, but they also weren't called unless, unless until there was some kind of a dispute 
and then they were then there was some kind of a statement issued. So it's not like Nicaea was called so that so that it, we could say, okay, well, what is it that we all believe? You know, who yeah. votes for consubstantial? <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't prescriptive. It was in response to because the faith is something that you live, that you that you try to embody, that you worship. The you know our faith is is in our worship, and then you write it down when you need to. When there's some kind of a challenge, and now you need to set the record straight. So the Nicene Creed is is the first, you know, this is us setting the record straight on who Jesus is. And that, uh, like, how there was many obviously different viewpoints within that. How right? How did they come together in unity? In a, it took a long time <laughs> because again, no, because again, it was it was about consensus, and it was it was about that. So it it didn't it wasn't. Uh, it, it it took a long, long time, and even afterwards, you know, you look at these at these ecumenical councils, and you see that uh, that you know, usually like, uh, okay, uh, now this is an absolute super generalization, but it's almost like every even council is like just affirming what the odd council before it did. Yeah, yeah. Because they're still fighting about it. Yeah. That's that that's a super huge generalization, but you can see that, particularly in the last sort of five, six, and seven, and it's all remember number four, okay, well number four, yeah, and and they just have to keep saying it because these things take a very long time, very long time to to get worked out. Uh, but 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 it's why do we need creeds? Well, again, for the exact same reason that people put mission statements on their websites because you need to have a concise way of saying, okay, well, what do we believe? What is this all about? Yeah. Oh, I forgot to ask this when we were talking about the Bible. I'm going to go back to it real quick. Um, yeah. Us Protestants have kind of said, like, books like Nicodemus and mm-hmm. Enoch, stuff like that. Like, they, we don't even consider that whatsoever. Right. Uh, you guys do. Um, and you don't, you don't consider them canon, but, you, you know, you, you still – I've read them because you've, you know, shared them with me. Mm-hmm. How – Why? Like why why so, why do you why does uh, some just like those are heresy or whatever? But you guys yeah. still revere them in a way. So so the the Orthodox Church has an open canon of the Old Testament. It's actually never really closed the canon of the Old Testament. Really? And yeah, and um and, and so you'll see different if you go to different you know different places like there's actually there are actually different listings of the books, um because for us the question is not so much. Can we systematically line up which which of these you know are are we um, that we that we recognize the scripture? But it's it's are these used in in the life of the people? Are they read amongst the people? Are they you know what what are they teaching the people? And and in those ways, so we we've, we've actually never closed the canon of the Old Testament, right. and you'll see different different ones. So what do you do when the, you read like the Book of Enoch? I mean, uh, how do you compare that? like to truth well okay so it's 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 the same as everything is is how what does that what does that say how does that connect if at all with the overall message what you know with 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 christ with the gospels how does it you know how does it line up and i mean it's like anything in the old testament some of it lines up very 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 you know obviously some of it not so much uh but what is it telling us about the truth and and how did people you know how what was it how was it pointing people how are these things pointing people to the truth i have this this friend in um in my uh in my diocese a priest who's an old testament scholar and he says we always have to remember that for the very 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 first christians 
that the the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was absolutely sufficient to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. So, you know, yeah. out of these things, this to Christ. Well, no, I always I was just talking about that with my friend Dan here, and um, how it's it's interesting to me that we we really have in evangelicalism made the Bible an idol. Like there's people who worship mm -hmm. the Bible and they don't even know it mm -hmm. because it's all about yeah. getting the right answer and you can control it, all kinds of stuff. Um, but then you mm -hmm. see the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. He comes, has one verse, goes back, right? And yeah. he didn't have any of the New Testament writings and stuff like that. He had the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, the yep. Spirit will lead you into all truth. For sure. Not the Scripture. Yeah, I, so that's where I, that's, that's why I asked the truth thing because, you yeah. know, I've had... Well, and... But he also had Philip because, right, Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading and what's his response? How can I understand unless someone guides me? Yep. Bam, right there. Yep. So we need to be guided. Uh, we need to be guided in our reading of the scripture and we're guided by, by the wisdom of the church because, again, that's the pillar and ground of the truth. Yes, it is. Uh, last question. What sure. is the gospel? The gospel is... Oh, you see, the gospel. So so this word gospel, evangelion in Greek, is beautiful because, because the original meaning of the word was it was the good news that a king had won a battle. Mm -hmm. And they would announce that in the town. They would announce that in the town. And so just by calling, see, just by calling the message the evangelion, they were, they were kind of throwing out a massive spoiler, <laughs> right? Who is it? He's the king, and he's victorious. You know that the victory has been won, and and against what we have against sin, against death, against shame. You know he's so whatever else you read, you know. So like knowing that it's a good news, whatever you read in there, and whatever happens, we know that in the end that there's victory, and and so I think that that also translates to our own lives that whatever we experience, you know, a good day, a bad day. But there's always the hope and victory in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and and that's that's the good news. It's it's that uh, there's the there's a, a modern uh, saint, 20th century saint named Paisios, and he said, uh, "What I see in the world today would drive me mad if I did not know that in the end God gets the last word." Oh, totally. So so that's kind of that's the good news. The good news is that God has already had it. Like the the victory is won. It's something we need to embrace. We need to unpack in our lives to to make you know to live in our lives. Um, but it's already there. The king has won, and we just we have to again. What's our choice? What kingdom do we want to be a citizen of? Kingdom of the jungle or the kingdom of God? And I lied. One last question. <laughs> oh, I promise this is it. Uh, okay. Western tradition coming from the reformers is penal substitution. That right. Father God killed his own son to appease his own wrath so he didn't have to take his wrath out on us. That is that is the Western view. How do, right. you, how do you view that? And is that how the early church fathers viewed what Jesus did on the cross? Atonement. Uh, well, so no, uh, the, uh, I would say the early church fathers, although you might see some of that language in, in some of the fathers, the uh, again the collective voice is is much different. Um, that the the cross was about Jesus entering into the full depth of human experience to fill it with His presence, including suffering, including shame, and including death itself. And when God 
because what is death? Death is death is to be without God. And when God enters into death, God is now present and death is overcome. So for us, like when when it says that he paid the price, for us, that's just shorthand for he did everything necessary for our salvation, which was to go as far as filling all, filling with his presence, all these various aspects of human experience and existence because now even on our worst day not only has the physician been there but he's all he is still there waiting for us so he did not die to appease his own father he, correct what did he accomplish what he accomplished was he he reunited our fallen and broken nature with the divinity he filled our he filled all the cracks and the and the gaps and the fractures and the wounds with himself. Through his stripes, his we are healed. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Father Jarmus, thank you so much. And thank we you. cannot wait to see you. We can't wait for I'm you to be here. I'm looking forward to heading out for a couple of weeks, not long. Yeah, long. a couple more weeks, and we're excited. So bless you, brother. God bless you. Thank you so much. All right.